We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome in. Raise guys here back with you as football season is upon us. Pro Football Hall of Fame, a, a rainy Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio will be the backdrop for uh, tonight's show. We will talk to Nick Suss of the Clarion Ledger here in uh, just a few minutes, actually. We'll get him on the horn. We will uh, play the uh, the audio from meeting with uh, both coordinators, Chris Partridge, Charlie Weiss Jr. today after uh, Ole Miss's second preseason practice of, uh, of camp. So we'll have those things. We'll take some calls. Hopefully we have a couple different options for uh, – for that, so the goal is also to, uh, to take some calls on uh, tonight's hand raised guys, the return of hand raised guys. As uh, again, we're watching. We uh, what Ms. Neal said a minute ago. It was football night in America. It's all those uh, things you've been waiting on since February. Football is back upon us. As we said this morning, the last or there will not be another week without football until uh, the Super Bowl in February. So yeah. it's going to be a minute. It'll be uh, nice. It'll be baseball season before there is not a football game. Is what will end up, what will happen? Ole Miss will be defending its national championship like a week after football season uh, ends. So all that and more coming up here tonight. The uh, the podcast uh, or all of our podcasts in some ways at Oxford Exxon. This will be in your feed on Friday morning as a podcast, maybe even in two parts. We're going to work with some stuff, but you'll be able to hear all of it there. The Oxford Exxon Highway Six West in Oxford. You know about the. Uh, Speed Pass Plus out, the Exxon Mobile out, way to uh, save some coin at the gas pump. That's good for everybody right now. Thousand points, ten bucks with the Oxford Exxon and the Blue Sky locations throughout Mississippi. Lunch specials five sixty nine. Ribs wet or dry, call ahead. Make them dinner this weekend if you so wish. So again, that and much more. And coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio. What happened on our screen there for a second? Did you see that? No. It like went green for a minute. Oh really? Yeah. Oh I don't know. You never know, man. It's one thing I've learned. You just never know. It, getting kinks out, okay? Yeah. Just, it, it, it is what it is. We are in the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford is in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call that number. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. And I'll give you a quote within 15 minutes. And um, 
Business hours, right to the bottom line, no hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, the rest completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today, 662-257-1900. Nick Suss, others join on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Speaking of, let Nick know that when he answers, he'll be live. Okay. Um, when he gets on the hotline, we don't have screeners. I don't even have the software for that. But uh, Nick will join on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. Great place to have a burger, po' boy, appetizer, full bar. Uh, all of that great beer selection and more at Rafters on the Square in Oxford. Also Rafters in New Albany. And this weekend, if you're getting out in the heat, head out to Sardis and enjoy a uh, margarita, draft beer, and more at uh, Rafters on the Water out at Sardis. So we'll get to uh, Nick Suss now. I'm going to give him a call here. Wait on. a second. I haven't told oh. him he'll be live, so give it okay. 30 seconds for him to respond before I do that. I was just texting. Okay. We can kill some time. It's fine. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, Tony Dungy hanging out with us. Is that Herb Street making his debut? I think so. Is that it? Is that yeah. It? Is it? No. Who is that? Maybe it's not. No, that's no, not. No, who is that? I don't know who that is. Is that Maria Taylor and... Yeah, it's her. And I'm just like Dungy. I don't know who that is. I got a side profile of the other guy. I can yeah. tell who it was. So what happened was... I mean, I know you don't watch a ton of series and stuff. Maybe people in the stream can help us. What happened with HBO Max today? Is it dying? Do they just lay a bunch of people off? Are they restructuring? I don't know. I mean, I still got some stuff to watch. I can't lose HBO Max right now. I don't know what's going on. Oh, it's Jason Garrett. Oh. Yeah, that makes sense. Is he not with... I didn't know he was doing Is that. he out of football now? Giants fire him? Yeah, he's been out. Oh. Yeah. You can tell I hadn't watched not a lot of, of Giants teams. football. No. I mean, there's only so many bad teams you can watch at once. If you're watching the Bears, you, 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 know, you don't get a You know, when you're doing a game, I, I get that a lot of people wear tan sports coats, but he's getting... Dungey's getting really close to it looking like he's wearing a Hall of Fame jacket. Or is he wearing the Hall of Fame jacket? Because they're doing the Hall of Fame game? That might is be. Is he in the Hall of Fame? Is he? I don't know. I don't know. If he's not, it's too similar of a shade. Yeah, someone should have told him as much. I can't see under his left arm. He would drop it where I could see if a patch Oh, there. that's his jacket. It's a Hall of Fame jacket. Okay. Then that's fine. I'll, I'll buy it for the Hall of Fame game. Oh, Otherwise, I was going to say that. For sure. That's too close. That's, yeah, you that's give a little, him that one. I'm really struggling. We are not in midseason form at all. I didn't know well, who Jason Garrett was. It's been a minute. I didn't know what's going on with Tony, Tony Dungy's coat. That hopefully they taped a good long while ago because there is no one in the stands behind them. No, right they now. emptied it out because of lightning. Oh, did they do that? Yeah. Okay. Had so we don't know when this thing's starting. No, I don't have any idea. Or if it'll start. So we just thought we were getting football tonight. I mean, getting football teased. Okay. Um, he hasn't. He has not responded, but we could probably just call and All right, we'll alert give, him to that. We'll quickly. give it a shot. Although it doesn't seem to want to be using FaceTime audio, so I'm gonna try I'm gonna try this a different way. Let's see. That's what I want to do. Right. And that's not what I want to do either. I could call him on that. I, for whatever reason, we'll try it this way and see what happens. We'll see what happens. No big deal. We're just here having fun. Sure. Yeah, that's not that's not working. I wonder if I could call him from a Skype number and just call the number. I would think so. Okay. That's what I'll do. So let him know it'll be coming from a different number. He'll answer his phone. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. Let me 
pull that up. So I need to get to a keypad. That buzz is slightly back. Is it? Having to buy $10 of Skype credit real quick to make calls. Okay. I think my account had unlimited, and I thought that one would have too. Who are you? Whose are you on? The new one I had to start when yours uh, didn't work when you okay. were in Omaha. Okay. Yeah, that was a fun evening. Payment was, that was a fun night. Pay, the one night Ole Miss wins the national championship, the calls don't work. That did not go according to plan. This headset has some issue in it. Good evening. Nicholas, how are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You hear us okay? We're using this number for the first time, so I'm making sure it's working. You all right? Yeah, yeah, it works. You're a spam risk, according to my phone, but it works. <laughs> I think you're safe, to the best of our I, knowledge no, I, and abilities. I, I hope so. I hope so. If you try to start selling me on some expired warranty. I, I was getting ready to ask you, you, Have you? are you up on all your warranties? Everything good? Oh, no, I haven't paid a warranty. I'm going to get caught bad here. Well, you know, we, we are offering a warranty special right now. Um, I, I, all I need is your Social Security number and a credit card, and I'll get that all hooked up. Let me go through my files right quick. Now. <laughs> I'll get you at the end of the interview. What year did Tony Dungy go into the Hall of Fame? Tony Dungy? Two, three years ago? Okay. I'm just wondering. We debated that for like 15 seconds, if he was wearing a Hall of Fame jacket or if he just made a really bad choice on television and wore a coat that was very similar to the same color as the Hall of Fame jacket. That would be a great thing, just walk around Canton in like a mustard jacket and pretend <laughs> you're a Hall of Famer no one's heard of. Apparently, <laughs> at one of, apparently one of the churches in Oxford on Masters Sunday, someone wore like a replica Masters jersey, to, I mean jacket to church. It's like, what are you doing? Like, what, what is the purpose of this today? I don't just, really understand. Just trolling. Yeah. So, anyway. I bet you feel like for two summers in a row, you did not get a summer. No, yeah, it's been it's been a, a hustle. <laughs> I, I would have liked to have a little more time off from June and July, but the this year the experience was awesome. Last summer, just COVID and everything, it's not like anyone enjoyed Omaha. It was just kind of back and forth from the hotel to the ballpark. This one, it was it kind of made it worth it. But yeah, two summers in a row of a uh, lot of walking in the market district and thinking I could be in bed, but I'm not. What you do in your off days? I mean, there is a certain monotonous thing to it. Where, like, we're just play, just get to the point of playing baseball. Yeah, the off days were bizarre, and I tried to find places to go, but I, I just ended up being like, if this is the one day I'm not working 14 hours, I am going to pull up YouTube and watch a 12-minute compilation of weird SNL moments you mm -hmm. forget from 1997 and, and hope that I can kill time doing that. Because you, you did all of Ole Miss, then you had to cover, was it Auburn? Somebody one time too was some, was it A and yeah, or Auburn? I had to cover I had to cover the Auburn game against Arkansas. I think when they were eliminated, 
Uh, and that was that was brutal. And then I made the mistake of agreeing to meet friends at Rocco's after that game. And so I was just standing there with a laptop bag watching people do jello shots <laughs> and uh, never be that person and never be the person who continues on to say, yeah, sure, I'll follow you to the karaoke bar. That was that was a night full of regrets. So, called you to talk a little football. It's been two days. It's been You've seen two days. You've seen tons. I mean, go ahead and predict it all yeah. out, Sus. What the hell's going to happen this yeah, year? Yeah, break it down. Yeah, there there will be twelve games, <laughs> approximately four quarters each. Uh, outcomes, we'll see. No, I mean, I, Chase, you and I were talking about this earlier. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be able to learn anything from the first five games. So, first two days of practice, first five weeks of the season. I don't know, man. Looks like they're going to try and play 78 players for 22 spots. They got a lot of guys they like. It's a good problem to have when you finally have depth for the first time in five years, but I have not been able to discern a damn thing so far. It has been a lot of guys rotating. Neil's about to nitpick on you on a game. I'm going to let him get to that in a second. Before he does that, I said on the podcast this morning that I mean, I've covered, I don't know, 16, 17 football seasons, something like that. And it's one of the deeper Ole Miss teams I have covered as far as they sort of look the part. There's guys where you go, yeah, if they get on the field, they can play SEC snaps. But you don't win games that way. Frankly, you're average that way. It takes exceptional yeah. players. It takes elite players. It takes great players. I, I guess that's my initial question. I get that we're only two days into camp. but you know the roster as much as anything else. Where do they sort of stand on enough upper-tier players to make the same kind of impact you know, because you know, last year Corral and Sam Williams did so much, just the two of those guys. But they're going to need a little more of a group effort in in a way. Do you feel like there's enough great players, really good players, top SEC caliber players to make a run at potentially anywhere close to what they did last season? So the thing I've been thinking since February, March, whenever the transfer class kind of solidified, is you probably got 13 positions where you're going to consider starting a transfer how many of those positions are you better off than the guy they're replacing? And right now the answer is three or four. So it's not just about who are the great players. It's how many of these guys are going to be better than the role players they're replacing, than the you know competent starters they're replacing. I, I have no idea who the stars are. Could be Zach Evans, could be Ulysses Bentley. I like those two a bunch. Everybody's going to hype up Trigg. I think Trigg's going to be good. Just It's got to be consistency with him. On defense, I still like Cedric Johnson a bunch. I still like A.J. Finley a bunch. I think that Jared Ivey, if he projects as half as good as he looks, I mean, dude's going to have a good season. But, yeah, I, I really, really wonder – when you got a team replacing 97% of its passing yards, 97% of its rushing yards, 90% of its receiving yards all the way down. I don't know who the top level producers are going to be. I I really agree with the whole deeper, but maybe not as good sentiment. Yeah. That's my thing is I'm, I think the jury's out. Like I, I think, I think Evans has a real shot to be an elite player. Um, yeah. I think Jalen Robinson has a shot to be an elite player. Uh, I don't think you have to be too much of a mind reader or reading between the lines to interpret that Lane Kiffin is trying to send a message to Michael Trigg about, hey, it takes yeah. you know it takes more than physical tools to be great at this game. Um, I, I, I feel safe in saying that. Um, defensively, you know, I think Troy Brown can be a good player. I don't know that he's going to be a great player. 
Um, you know, there's some guys in the secondary that, that I think have a chance to fill roles and be impactful, but I thought it was interesting today. I don't know whether you did or not. I mean, we'll play the interviews later in the show, but Chris Partridge asked questions. He would just give numbers. I mean, he was like, we're going to, we got, we got 18 this and 20 something this. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> it, it was, and I didn't know whether that was him saying, Hey, look, we have a ton of depth or whether that was him in the one opportunity that he's going to get in a year to communicate to his players through the media to say, Hey, look, nobody's won Jack so far in camp. You better bring it. I think it's just as much one as the other. I, I really have, I wrote it down the first day of practice. I didn't follow up today, but just like the number of people who got first and second team reps on the defense is staggering. On offense, I feel like with the exception of receiver and obviously quarterback, we pretty much know what the first team is and what the second team is. Defense, it could be a hockey line change for all I know. There there could be first and second string everywhere. I have no idea what they're going to do there, and that's a good thing to have when you have a lot of guys you trust, but I mean, Neil, you you were probably the person who pointed out to me the most last year with the number of snaps some of the defenders were having last year. What was it, Dean Leonard playing close to 100% of the snaps? I can't remember if it was him or one of the other DBs, but yeah, AJ, like AJ Finley was playing. Not going to be there. Yeah, AJ Finley was playing like 85 snaps a game. I mean, it was. I actually talked to AJ about that the other day. I'm like, is is that? You know, are you hoping some of these guys can take 15, 20 snaps away from you so that you are a little fresher late in games and? I mean, he gave me the politically correct answer, but you know, the answer is yeah. I mean, and as a coach, you you don't want to play. You don't want your safety out there running around 90 plays. I mean, that's just. Ole Miss played 1,033 snaps last year, and Otis played 945, and A.J. played 935. That's a ton. It's too much, and so it's good to have Ladarius Tennyson and Aishim Young and Nick Tull and Taylor Groves and all of these guys that can help at safety, but also at a certain point, your best players are better than your not best players, and you want the best guys. And I think Partridge kind of hedged his answer there when he was asked about this. I think he said something along the lines of, we want to play the guys we can trust, but we hope we have depth, which kind of narrows it down to everything. So we'll see how it works out. But, yeah, I I don't think that just about anything is settled on defense other than you're going to see a lot of Cedric Johnson and you're going to see a lot of A.J. Finley. Yeah, I I think that's fair. And, yeah, I thought it was interesting that this week they said don't report on scheme. Chase and I had this conversation. I don't know that reporting on personnel moving around is is scheme. I thought it was interesting to see Clowney, to see um, – Number nine, Brandon Mack. Brandon, Brandon Mack. Mack, thank you. Guys that, you know, in past years would have had to play defensive line because they just didn't have any depth. And this year they have enough depth up front, or at least they think they do, that they can at least try those guys at linebacker to see what it looks like. You know, and I don't know, I have no idea, like, what those guys would look like in pass coverage. I don't know how experienced they are in, in, in dropping into pass coverage from a three-two-six alignment. I don't, frankly, and I don't think this is reporting on scheme. I think this is me taking an educated guess at what things look like. I I anticipate a lot more four-man fronts than we saw a year ago, where they're truly playing four defensive linemen because for the first time in a few years they actually have them. And I also can say from the flip side of that. You drop eight when you need eight to cover. I think this year they probably trust their seven a little bit more. 
which could probably lead to a little bit more of four up front or a little bit more blitzing from a linebacker spot or any of that. You can be a little more variable. And the drop eight worked last year. I'm not criticizing the drop eight. I think it's a good philosophy, but they have more players this year. So you can mix in four-man fronts. You can mix in some three-three-five or some four-one-six or whatever you want to do. There, are, There's that variability there. And especially when you are unsure to be charitable at linebacker, I think that that freedom allows you to use your strengths wisely. I mean traditional linebacker, not, hey, Coleman plays a bunch of snaps here and doing this as this outside edge. If you had to say... Who plays the most snaps as a traditional linebacker? Who would you say? I, I think it's probably Troy Brown, but Keyes looks like he's got some upside. Sistrunk looks like he has some upside. And Reginald Hughes is getting some reps, you yeah. have to think. I, I don't know if any of the freshmen have caught up yet, but Hughes is, especially since he was here in the spring, looks like he's maybe a nose ahead of them. But I really don't know. I, I'm betting on Troy Brown in the same way that – I, I told the story earlier today, but I watched every single spring practice or every single fall practice last season and said they have never once ran their number one defense out here. Why the heck are Campbell and Robinson playing linebacker instead of Henry and Sonogo? And then it worked. So I'm not going to say that they don't know how to figure it out, but I, I, I don't know. I, that's that's a position that I cannot pretend to understand what they're doing quite yet. Chase and I have talked about it so many times, Nick. It's a position that I don't know. I mean, I'm not talking about the fans. I mean, the fans that are in our live stream, most of them get it. But, like, I'll, I'll do interviews. I know you'd probably, for every radio interview that I do, you probably do 10. People talk about quarterback. They talk about all this stuff. They never even ask about linebacker. And I'm like, guys, they, they, they were, those were two really effective linebackers and by the end of the season they were two really good linebackers who were playing really well together and they were super effective and both of them uh, have legitimate shots to make NFL rosters here this this uh this month this month and a half I guess um replacing those guys replacing their production you talk about guys who played a ton of snaps I don't know if you still have that up Chase but I mean Chance Campbell played I'm guessing 700 and some odd snaps Robinson was probably close to that uh you need to go up more than that. Chance Campbell played 901 snaps last I year. I mean, wow. How many did Robinson play? Well, he didn't play. He played 531, but you have to remember he was suspended or he was kicked out of a game. He was, yeah. you know, he missed time in a lot of different yeah. ways. But then once he sort of officially got into the rotation, like I'm pulling it up right now or it'll come up in a second, he, um, he played – yeah, I mean, the second half of the season, as I'm going through it, he played at least 60 and into the 70s and even an 80 snaps per game at, at the end. So you're replacing – you're replacing – I mean, had he not been suspended, you're replacing 1,600, 1,700 snaps at linebacker. That That is that is a hell of a task, and, and people just don't talk about it much. And it's I, I think it's one of the biggest storylines with this team. And to go back to that idea of where the top-end talent's going to be – I mean, I, I don't know if I'm ranking biggest plays, most important plays of last year, but one of the plays that's always going to stand out for me was the first big hit Robinson made in the backfield against Louisville. That was the first indication I had that the defense had figured something out. Like, he was the guy that set the tone. I don't know if he was consistently making the number of plays that Chance Campbell or Sam Williams or Jake Springer or A.J. Finley, those guys were making. But when somebody made a play that made you turn your head and say, oh, this feels different, that was him. 
And there's going to be a grinder on this team. There's going to be someone who hits hard. Partridge preached it a hundred times. He said violence and aggression and all that stuff. They're still preaching it, but somebody's got to live that in practice. And that's, that's a pretty thankless role to be effectively the fullback of the defense. And I I have yet to see who that's going to be. I'm interested to see who it's going to be. We haven't really, I don't know if they've even been in full pads yet. They they haven't had legs on yet. So we'll see as they get more and more physical, but that's a, that's an important role to to figure out someone who's just going to put their nose in the dirt and work yeah i don't want people to misconstrue me as as being negative on this either because it's just the jury's out like we haven't seen a padded practice yet they haven't gone in pads we haven't seen a scrimmage and like you said maybe that guy's there and we'll see it here in the next couple weeks i just when people do the oh they're super deep everywhere i'm like hey let's hold up a minute they have the potential to be super deep at a bunch of places but we until you see some of these guys play in pads in a scheme full speed you don't really know precisely what you have with a handful of people exactly so let's talk quarterbacks you watch the spring um i watched the spring you've seen a couple of practices now and i'm I'm not i judge nothing from the first couple of practices guys are just getting acclimated and all that stuff and they're not again they're not in pads they're not doing all that stuff but do you have a kind of a gut feeling as to where this is going I am not going to pretend I'm, I'm Bill Walsh or Andy Reid or something with a quarterback guru. I usually think I know a little bit more about quarterbacks than the average guy. I cannot discern a single difference in the quality of any of the three. I'm going to throw King Kate Dent in there. They all look just about the same right now. And you got to you know, factor in which units they're playing against and what drills they are, but Man, it seems like we got a weird Freaky Friday situation going on through the first two days of camp where Dart seems to have responded or internalized to some of the criticism about his gunslinging ways, and he just isn't taking chances downfield, so I'm not getting to see the impact plays. And Altmyer's seemingly doing the opposite, and I'm seeing him make some big throws that I kind of doubted he could do at first, and I'm also seeing him make some mistakes that I didn't see him make in the spring. I, I, I really don't know what's going on, but I don't know. It's gut feeling. I still think that they end up going with Dart long-term, but I don't know. I change my opinion every day just because I really cannot tell a difference, and it just comes down to do they think they need the quarterback who is going to be able to win games or do they think they need the quarterback who's going to not lose games? Generally, I feel like Kiffin's the guy who leans towards the projected gain instead of the projected loss, but I, I really, really don't know what these two, especially after these first two days. So when you say long-term, if you just had to throw money on something, you would do it on Dart from that standpoint, and you think it's because Kiffin would rather the guy who can actually make the plays, not necessarily that he's just the portal guy and they need to play the portal guy or any of the kind of that intangible stuff. Yeah, I I mean, I'm not going to pretend that money isn't a factor anymore. Like, we have to talk about that. But I think the bigger picture thing is you look at upside, you look at projectability, you look at the kind of quarterbacks they want to recruit, the kind of program they want to build. Dart's a little bit more reflective of that. If you asked me this question in May or June, and I'm sure we talked about this during baseball season, Chase, I mean – Altmaier just looked better in the spring. There was really no mm-hmm. debating that. I had but, a I had a program, and not to interrupt you, Nick, just along those lines. I had a program kind of insider tell me the other day that he said he felt like Altmaier won fourteen of the fifteen practices in the spring. Yeah, that he came out of it way ahead. 
But he said, you know, along the lines of what you just said, he said, what's interesting is if, he said, you know, and who knows how Lane's going to handle this. And let's be clear, this is Lane's decision. This isn't Charlie Weiss's decision or this this is Lane's decision. And he said, you know, if you have, if you feel like you have something bordering on a great defense and a potentially great running game, you probably go the little more conservative approach. If you feel, yeah. if you feel like you don't and that you've got to have the guy that's going to take some chances, and even though you know that taking those chances every once in a while, if you play with the fire enough, right, you're going to get burned. I mean, that's the cliche, and it's true. If you keep sticking your, head, your, your hand on the eye, eventually you're going to burn. If you know that, but yet you think, hey, but the the good with the bad is that this guy's going to take some shots down the field and we're going to make some plays and maybe Jalen Robinson makes a play on the ball or whatever. Maybe that's the route you go. And the hope, I think, is that over the course of the next few weeks, and I sort of wrote this today, over the course of the next few weeks, Altmaier becomes more of a risk taker mixed in with his with – his, um, know kind of take what you give us approach and that dart protects the football and then you were sitting there talking to jackson when i was and he jackson kind of pushed back on that gunslinger thing he's like hey doing it in practice is one thing you know look at my record in games i don't throw a lot of interceptions and you know he threw nine tds five picks at southern cal and just five and a half games or whatever it was as an 18 year old so it you know he he does have a point when he's like if people make me out to be some risk-taking gunslinger and the numbers don't support that yeah it's it's funny because when you do that in high school if you're that much better than everybody else of course you're not going to throw picks i talked to both of his high school coaches i talked to his dad all of them talked about how he's never been afraid of a single throw that's not a bad thing to have confidence in yourself it's just the level of competition changes so sure he doesn't have a track record of throwing picks when he was 16 years old playing in Utah, but now he's playing in the SEC. So I'm not saying I'm skeptical. I genuinely think that what he's saying is true. He didn't throw many picks, but I think that the attitude is what is worth more remarking upon. But yeah, to, to complete the thought, I don't know. I really don't know. I, it's not my job to pick the quarterback and I'm glad that it's not. But to your point, if the running game is as good as we're saying it's going to be, there, there probably isn't a wrong choice, but it, it makes the choice a lot easier. And it's two such young guys. I looked it up today. Um, Luke turns twenty the day of the LSU game. Jackson won't wow. turn. Jackson won't turn twenty until after spring next year. Oh, it's May third. Yeah. I think May thirteenth is his birthday. So he just now turned nineteen. He's basically. just nineteen. I mean, we. We forget these are two really young guys, and Lane kind of talked about this a little bit about you know the ment- mentality and um, you know Matt Corral was a pretty fragile dude when he was nineteen. Uh, these are young. Oh, I, I will say not not to like put too much praise on either of them. They're both ahead of where Matt was when he was a true sophomore, redshirt freshman. Like, I think so, I think so too. That's evident. Yeah, and so you want. You want to make a decision, sure, and these are big boys and everybody's getting, you know, NIL and all that stuff, and so you, it is what it is, but you don't want to lose mentally the guy that doesn't get the job in week one because there's a decent chance you're going to need that guy somewhere down the road. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I, and 
that that doesn't necessarily need to be because of injury or because somebody you know failed. I mean, there's just you never know when you're going to need a second quarterback. It's college football. So we're we're going to play the coordinator things here in a little bit for people. And Partridge was okay. Charlie Wash Jr. was a uh, a pro clinic today and saying absolutely nothing in any way. Um, my question is, uh, was that simply Lane telling him not to say anything, or is that I've been around Lane long enough that I know that if I do this, I, there's no way I can say anything inappropriate, or do you feel like that's just him? Where do we fall on what that was today? Because I'll be honest, that was as political from a, like, I mean, like a politician standpoint as I've heard in a long time. I leaned over to Neil, and I said, no offense to him, seems like a good dude, but there wasn't one single quote in that that I found interesting. I have a theory that when assistant coaches are allowed are allowed to talk, coordinators are only substantive when they're angling for a head coaching job. And Charlie's just not there yet. Like clearly he's not at the point where he's trying to show that he can lead a program. So what does he have to gain from telling us the truth? Everything's Lane's decision, well, including what he thinks about the job. I can provide a little color today. Um, yeah, no one told me I couldn't do this, so I, I, I'm, I'll tell you guys. Uh, I was a little late getting to practice today. Chase today was Chase's day to do the observations and stuff, and I had uh, the Mind of My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle. Go to mypinwealth.com. Um, I had that podcast, and then I, I, I left, and I got to the practice. Uh, field right as it was ending you guys had already headed to the the media room and uh i walked up and i saw kyle campbell and kyle said hey i'll walk you there and i said okay and so we were started to walk and kiffin had already exited the the area and he as we were walking he was coming back up the steps and he told kyle i need to get um i can't remember what he said charlie and whatever the coordinators whatever he goes i need to tell them what not to say and so he he had a little it was probably 45 seconds, maybe a minute, uh, powwow with Partridge and, and Weiss before they parted. So he, he had some he, – he reminded them of what was what was able to be said and what wasn't. Not a surprise. I mean, he's talked a lot about wanting to build culture. That's, that's a way to do it. Yeah, and I'll tell you the other thing I took from it was we have we – have, Two years ago, it was all on Zoom, and so who knew, but it, it always kind of felt kind of dis, discombobulated a little bit. And even last year at times, I mean, it just didn't always feel completely put together at the beginning. This is absolutely Lane Kiffin's program right now in a way that yeah. I don't think it has been before. I mean, this is – he's got his hands – and I mean this in a, in a positive way. I don't mean it negative. This is just – there's this is his program in a way that – Probably Georgia's Kirby Smarts program, where everything goes through him. Everything has his fingerprints on it. I think for the first time, we can say that about Lane and Ole Miss. You, you talked about earlier my uh, extreme weakness for agreeing to do radio shows. And I remember that in the buildup to his first year, the thing I would say over and over and over on radio shows is, look, man, he's assembled a staff unlike anyone in the SEC. He went out and got outsiders. He didn't hire guys from his past. He hired guys that are going to do things differently. They're going to try and take on the SEC in a different way. They're not just a bunch of Saban clones. Two years later, I'm not saying that anymore. He's hired guys that fit much more him 
than guys trying to reinvent the wheel. And again, I agree with you. That's not a criticism. It's totally normal to hire the guys who do what you want when you've experienced success. But it's interesting to me that transition of hiring Levy and Durkin and Partridge and all these guys who he didn't have much experience with to try and build the program and then going out and getting people he's a little more familiar with, uh, not just Weiss, but his brother briefly to run the defense to kind of build the next phase, I guess. Yeah, I don't think I don't think this is speaking out of turn to say that he needed guys like Durkin and Levy to kind of yeah. run the program, especially I mean, I, he didn't know that COVID was coming and that it was going to turn into the chaos that it did. But those guys really kind of held, held things down during that time when I think, I don't know, I'm not saying his life was less stable, but I don't think he was as stable as he is today. I mean, look at him. I mean, the guy's lost a lot of weight. Is He he, 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 he looks better. He, he He's much more like he was – he was actually engaged with us on Wednesday in a way that he's never been with local media. Never. Yeah. I mean, he was different. I mean, there's, there's no way around that. I've had multiple people reach out to me and tell me, Hey, what was that? I mean, he was mm-hmm. a different cat. And, and I, I, I don't think, I think for the first time he doesn't need other guys who can basically run the program because he's running it. And I don't, I don't think you could say that before maybe the very tail end of last year. No, and that's that's a good thing when your head coach is in charge. And I mean, I, I did a show earlier today where I got the same question for the umpteenth time of, well, how much time does Lane have left on the clock in Oxford? And I said the same thing I've said for three years, which is longer than you think. Yeah, I, I don't think this is 2009 anymore. I think he's trying to build something. And I'm not saying he's trying to build a place where his great-great-grandchildren are going <laughs> to live. But I think he's trying to leave a legacy. You know, he's... He's not a, a coach-speak guy. He's pretty frank about all the NIL stuff and all of those things. And so he gives the interview. I can't remember who it was. It was maybe USA Today or... It was Topmeyer, yeah. Yeah. And he tells Topmeyer about the, you know, wanting to be someplace for a long time. Some anecdote about maybe Lambeau Field or something. I can't remember exactly, but why do we... Why do we hang on every word that he says about NIL and we yet we tend to dismiss the things that he says about his own career when he goes, you know, I, I, I didn't I didn't intend to leave Tennessee. I got my dream job. It was offered to me and I felt like if I didn't take it, then I'd never get it again. And looking back, it was a mistake. And, you know, and so now he's got this job where he's making, I don't know, seven and a half ish and yeah. at a place that's letting Letting him be the brand. I mean, the only the biggest threat to his brand right now is his Labrador Retriever. Um, I, I mean, I don't I don't know where this Chase and I talk about this all the time. I guess on and off the podcast, I don't know where this big line of schools is that that offer eight plus million and and hey and also we'll build the entire brand around you. I, I'm sure there's a list, but it's really small. No, if if you set it up as a Venn diagram of schools that Lane would be leave, willing to leave Ole Miss for and schools that would go out to hire Lane Kiffin under his criteria, the list of schools in the middle is not that big. And that's not to say there aren't any. You're, you're right, there are some, but it's not like every December when I end up 
writing a column every week of, will Lane Kiffin consider the Oklahoma job? Will Lane Kiffin consider the Florida job? I'm glad that people click on them. I'm glad you guys read them, and my bosses keep making me write them. But the answer is usually, I mean, probably not. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I say people are like, why are people writing that? Because their bosses told them to write it because it gets clicks. That's why. That's why they're writing it. Um, and we have we have football. We have the first play of the NFL preseason. It was a beautiful. It was like a long pass. There's a penalty. Who cares? It's football. Jared Stidham threw it. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. He's still in the league. Where did Stidham play? Auburn. Auburn. Yeah. Well, he transferred from Baylor, right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. See? Uh, got a penalty quarterback getting hit. Yeah, he was a, so a big gainer for the Raiders. I, I have to say this every time I see their uniforms. The Raiders uniform is just – it's just spectacular. We'll close there, Nick. What's the best uniform in the NFL? Best in the NFL? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not an interior designer. I, <laughs> I do not have a good eye for uniforms. Um, do you have a favorite? Is there one that when you see it on TV, you're like, yeah, I like that. Yeah, there are tons. Like I, I talk about uniforms the same way I talk about movies, which is with the exception of like my three favorite movies ever. And my three least favorite movies ever. My review is always, that was good. And my review of uniforms are always, those are good. Yeah. Like, yeah. But like the Jacksonville I, uniform right here is not good. This is not a good the, – the the Jags just don't have good suits. Are they wearing the like weird half amber type that looks like beer that's been sitting out for a little while? They've got on the uh, the black helmet, white jersey, and the plain black pant. Oh, those, those are fine. I, I think that the, the biggest uh, problem for them last year had more to do with what the coach was wearing than the team. So well, they sorted that out and let's see fair. if figure something out. There's no question about that. There's no question. Hey, listen, we kept you for a long time. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, I'll talk to you guys uh, Saturday. But uh, thanks for having me. We'll see you. Thanks, Nick. Bye. That was Nick Suss, Clarion Ledger. Yeah, someone said we should get him on more often. We absolutely should. He's, he's a really good um, – Good dude, fun to talk to. Doesn't have the red and blue glasses. Gives you some perspective. I didn't challenge him on the Kentucky game, so you've he talked just to him. misspoke. Yeah, like it, okay, it, it, he he did not believe Ole Miss was running through Kentucky. Okay, yeah, no, because no. if Ole Miss is running through Kentucky, I'm into the nine. You're changing a, you're changing tunes a little. Well, bit. I mean, I mean, and I'm not saying I'm not. I, I I I want to see more before I go there. Before I. Go, oh yeah, man! This team's got a shot to do something super special. I need to see something from quarterback play. I need to see some linebacker play. I need to see some stuff. Grind with a decent note here says that Jared Stidham was the last quarterback in college football to beat Bama and Georgia in the same season. Is that right? Well, only so many teams play Bama and Georgia in the same season, but they don't lose much. So yeah, it's a stat. That's 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 pretty good. That is good. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, um, you want to do the coordinators? Here At least Partridge. The other one, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not criticizing Charlie, but... I almost want some people to see Charlie, though, to understand just how much. Because I think it's a storyline that people don't touch on. Okay. Jeff Lebby had a pretty big role on oh, that yeah. on that team. And I'm not saying Weiss doesn't, but I don't think it's a role that, even though it's the same title, I don't think the role is as significant. Okay. My thought. Well, we haven't seen it yet. I don't know. I mean, I because that was... That was, and I guess that's where, and I'm not trying to come off like frustrated. Like, I didn't necessarily expect some reinventing of the wheel or him to come out and give state secrets. That wasn't the point. But, you know, he does have some idea of an answer of, hey, how are you guys going to, how did you, because he was asked, how did you guys split play calling at FAU? Yeah. Well, really, let's talk to the coach about that. Well, it was several years ago. Like I don't know. Like that. That is not. That is not indicative that you're going to follow the same system here. Like, whatever it was there was was what it was. Yeah, so mean, can you talk about what it was? That doesn't mean that it will be what it is here. But what was it there? No. I mean, I would have. I would have liked. Well, I called the place, or I called yeah. first and second down. Yeah, he did red zone. I did this. Yeah. Or, uh, whatever. Okay. Cool. No. Or Lane called all the plays, and I just helped with the game plan during the week. Okay, you were 22 years old. That's understandable. Yeah, but no. So, sure, go ahead. All right, we'll go do. We'll do let's do Weiss first, actually, because we'll come out of Partridge with more to talk about. This was earlier today, new Ole Miss offensive coordinator Charlie Weiss Jr., the first time we've had an opportunity to hear from him. It's not a long interview. Uh, we'll be back in uh, just a moment after you hear from Charlie Weiss. Yeah, just thank you guys for uh, coming out here and, and interviewing me, I guess. But uh, fired up to be here at Ole Miss. It's been a blessing. Great to be back working with Coach Kiffin. Absolutely love Oxford, so it's, it's been a blessing. But, yeah, anything you guys got? Uh, obviously, kind of up for, for you all side of the ball, just the quarterback battle with Dart yes, Altmaier. Just first off, have you ever had experience in that elsewhere? And if so, how do you, how do you kind of navigate creating a new offense with dealing with who may, not, may or may not be the signal caller? 
Yeah, you know, when I was at FAU, we had quarterback competitions, you know, both years uh, that I was there with Coach Kiffin. Great thing is, uh, you know, my job as quarterback coach is get both those guys as ready to play as possible. And then, you know, at the end of the day, Coach Kiffin will make that decision, you know, which, you know, one gives us the best chance to win. So uh, our job each and every day is just work on ourselves, you know, be the best versions of us that we can be. That's my challenge to both those guys. And uh, I love the way that they work and compete. And it's been really fun with those guys. I know tempo was such a big part of what the offense has done the last couple of years. Is that still the plan to kind of keep going and running as many plays as you can? Yeah, you know, whenever we were at, you know, once again, when I was with coach at FAU and kind of made that move to utilizing tempo, it's just a great weapon, you know, for us. Obviously, it's always a challenge to go as fast as, as it's been in the past and all that. But, you know, we definitely love going fast. And, you know, I think Coach Kiffin does, too. I know Lane likes talking about building offenses around player-specific talents. Can you just break down what you've seen from Luke and what you've seen from Jackson and kind of what they could bring to an offense? Yeah, they're both really talented players. Um, you know, my, my favorite thing about both of them is they're the, you know, hardest workers that you're going to find. You know, they're always watching tape on their own, doing studies on their own in the workout in the workout stuff over the summer, you know, doing the best job that they can possibly do to position themselves uh, to win the job. So I think the biggest compliment I could pay both those guys are both very intelligent and they're both very hard workers. Um, obviously, you know, everyone's skill set is a little bit different and all that right there, but they've done a tremendous job of getting themselves ready for fall camp. Charlie, what, what exactly are, are you looking for? What defines who's going to win this quarterback battle? What are the intangibles and, and the tangibles you're looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think there, there's all the, you know, common things, you know, that you look at for the quarterback and how they move the offense, how they operate, taking care of the football, you know, generating big plays. But kind of like I said earlier, at the end of the day, Coach Kiffin will take all the information that he can from all those, you know, 25 practices of fall camp that we have. You know, my job is to just get the, each of those guys to be the best that they can be. And then at the end of the day, you know, whoever it is, you know, that's who Coach will go with. Coach, what was the play – play calling dynamic you had with him at FAU and do you anticipate it being the same here? Yeah, I think I think that'd be a Coach Kiffin question uh, for him. Let him answer that whenever. But um, I've had great working with Coach all over the years, so but I'll, I'll leave that to him. Let's talk a little bit about your backfield, you know, ever since you got here, you know, with Evans, Bentley, and even, you know, Judkins and Bullock. I mean, just what stands out about each of those guys and what you're most excited to see just about this backfield? Yeah, I mean, I love all four of those guys. I think it's a really talented group. Um, each guy's got, you know, a little bit different flavor to them. But the best thing is they all can kind of operate every single run that we're trying to run in our offense, which makes it, you know, easy uh, for, you know, when we call plays and, you know, who we want to get the ball to. Uh, it's not as hard to know, like, hey, when this guy's in, I want to run this run. When this guy's in, I can run that run. I feel like all of them have a good complementary deal where they can run the majority of our offense. Lane has talked a lot about building the culture over with so much new roster. You're new also. Kind of what have you seen from him and from the returning coaches about what the culture is here? Yeah, I think it's obviously a challenge when you have so many new people uh, coming in, and that's a huge part of fall camp for us, much more than even scheme. It's just making sure that we get the culture right and Coach Kiffin make sure to define exactly what he wants from us as coaches, what he wants from his players, and then it's our job to go out there and make sure that we fulfill that each and every day and uphold that standard. And so that's definitely a challenge when you have so many new people and all that right there, but we work tirelessly to make sure that we get that right by the time the ball kicks off. Charlie, you got a really talented group of wide receivers. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, are you guys uh, 
are you looking for one or two to emerge kind of is that gamer so to speak right yeah i think we've got such a talented group right there that there's so many different guys that possibly could be the standout so it's going to be great throughout fall just to see which ones do separate themselves and it's just such a deep room this year that i think uh, it's going to be it's been fun it's been fun just for the first couple of days seeing which ones you know stand out all that right there and uh at the end of the day i think there's always you know the cream rises to the top and uh we'll find out who that is give us a little evaluation of the offensive line at this point yeah, I love our offensive line group. I think throughout the spring, uh, that's a very veteran group that's played a lot of football, very knowledgeable and understanding of the offense. I think when you got five guys who are very kind of elite uh, in, in terms of their intelligence, it makes things a lot easier for offensive system to be able to, to do some different things and operate and make different calls and adjust. And so uh, those guys are, are very hardworking. You know, they're physical, uh, extremely intelligent, know what to do. And, uh, you know, they're, they're one of the leaders of our team. in the tight end room, what have you seen from spring and just a little bit of start of fall just from both Kelly and Trigg? What do you, do you feel like they both can bring something different, complimenting Yeah, team? Yeah, they're, they're, they're both really good players. We're going to need both of them. Um, you know, at the end of the day, coach will determine, you know, who plays the most snaps and all that, but that's a fun competition right there too, and both have a great skill set that we need to utilize. Just your journey, I know it probably wasn't much of a sales pitch to come here, but what did Lane approach you about kind of what did he sell you on when it came to hiring for this job? I think it was pretty pretty easy decision, you know, working with coach in the past and uh, the, the great times, whether it was at Alabama with him and being at FAU, just some, some really good experience over the years and I just have so much respect for him as an offensive mind. I feel like uh, he challenges me every day. Uh, he makes me smarter, makes me better each and every day and so just the, the opportunity to work for him and in and, and the offensive system has been amazing. One of the things you said in your opening statement was, you know, that you love Oxford. Just what kind of just stands out about this place and just this university just since you've been here? Yeah, I just feel like it's a great for, for a family. So I'm married. I have a, a one-year-old son named Maverick, and it's just been uh, – I feel very welcomed in this town. You know, love going to the square, going out to eat, all that stuff right there. It's, it's, a, it's a real blessing. I feel like it's just a great family community uh, that you get. Um, it's been, been really fun. Kind of back to the quarterbacks, you talked about some similarities uh, as far as their work ethic and stuff. What do they kind of do differently in your eyes? In terms of like uh, just work ethic and all that or just uh, on the field? On the play, field. Play style. Yeah, they both have a little bit different play style. You know, I think coach can give you a little bit more exact answer on that right there. But like I said, I just love how both those guys compete and, and uh, challenge each other and work off of each other. Talking to Jackson Dart yesterday, he, you know, he mentioned that, you know, he wasn't super comfortable here in the spring. It was kind of a crash course. And yep. he, says he, he says he feels just a lot different. Have you kind of seen, does, does he feel different from your perspective too? Yeah, I think, you know, over the summer, you know, he did a great job of just, you know, making sure to continue to watch everything from the spring, learn from his past mistakes, take that and grow. And so I'm really excited to watch throughout fall camp to see, you know, how he improves each and every day. As someone who's seen Kiffin's scheme grow over the spots, just how tough is it to pick up? Is it an easy transition for some of these new transfers? Is it more nuanced than other offenses? Just kind of where does it stand in that regard? Yeah, I think anytime you come into a new offense, you know, there's challenges to learning, you know, all of that right there. But I think Coach has done a great job over the years of getting his players ready to play by the time uh, you kick the season off. Thanks, Coach. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. That was uh, Charlie Weiss Jr. earlier today uh, talking to the assembled 
media. Do you, people think you want to be pretty critical of Weiss? No, I'm not critical at all. I'm not. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know nothing about the guy. I have no problem with it. I mean, it wasn't even a bad thing. It was. I was more interested in why, not what. It wasn't a problem as far as, I mean, again, there was nothing he was going to say. That, right. Because Lane Kiffin is an offensive-minded coach. You're going to get whatever you're going to get from the head coach. It was not a negative. It's. I wanted to know, is that because he has worked with Lane at three different locations? Is that because just today Lane told him what you mentioned and all that? I had that in my mind. It was more of – look, Charlie Wash Jr. has been known as kind of a wonderkin since he was like 12 years old. I mean, Brian Rippey wrote about it on the side earlier this year. I mean, he, he's an incredibly intelligent guy. I'm not ripping Charlie Weiss for not knowing how to speak to the media. My question was merely what was the, the impetus for – or not really saying much, and I'm just kind of curious. I mean, we still don't really have an answer, but no, it was that. It was not. It was not a care. Um, it was just just a wondering. Conversely, I thought uh, Chris Partridge talked more. He didn't answer a lot of specific stuff, but that might be a staff wide thing that nobody talks specifically. But I think you saw with Weiss, not Weiss, with Partridge when recruiting came up when what they've been able to do with revamping the roster defensively came up, I think you saw a lot of the pride that he has in it. And then he talked about aggressiveness and violence and stuff enough times. And I asked him about you know, blitzing and being more aggressive. And I thought his answer to that was pretty interesting as well. So we'll a little bit more, uh, probably compelling might be the word, uh, interview here with uh, Chris Partridge, the Ole Miss defensive coordinator, earlier today at uh, Ole Miss. Coach, all through the spring and throughout the summer, the teammates have said uh, how much Davison's kind of turned heads and kind of become leader and playing not as a true freshman. From your eyes and perspective, how have you seen him grow since he's been here? Yeah, I mean, he's been here since January, so if he hasn't grown, we got we got issues. Uh, every kid has since January, we would hope would grow. Um, he's in a great competition with uh, 11 other corners in camp, and um, he's got to fight every day. But, yeah, he's grown. He's grown since January. He's out there competing. It's uh, it's good to see him do that, just like everybody else. Chris, we don't get a chance to talk to you very often, but how excited are you to be calling the shots on this defense this, this fall? Just as excited as I was last year. I just look to do my part and contribute any way I can. So um, I'm fired up. I think we got a great bunch. We got uh, 52 guys in camp, and they're all competing. They're all hungry. Uh, we want to be violent. We want to be aggressive. We want to. You know, we want to make plays, um, so uh, I don't get any more excited for my role. I just do the role that, uh, that is asked of me, and, um, you know, my role is to call the shots and call the defense, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Um, it looks like you're going to have a lot of depth on that defensive line, and I want to ask you just about the moves y'all have made in the portal to bring guys in as well as recruiting defensive linemen. It's really turned that unit around in the last two and a half, three years. Yeah, heck yeah. I mean, big time. Um, obviously, you know, in the SEC, it all goes, you know, starts up front. So um, if you if you can't win up front, you'd be uh, you'd be in trouble. And, you know, the other thing is you got to play a lot of guys. I mean, you know, we play hard, we move around. So um, these guys, you need to you need to build depth and we feel really good about it. Um, again, you know, we got a bunch of guys in camp. We got 16 D linemen in camp and uh, they're all competing. Um, so they all, you know, got to show themselves out. And, you know, we hope that we can play 10 or 11 of them in a game. So that's that's, uh, you know, that, that's what we're looking for right now is, is who's going to step up and be guys that we can count on in, uh, in, in the crunch time. 
Lane kind of challenged the linebackers back in the spring. Just kind of what have you seen from them? I know it's only two practices, but now that you have all of the freshmen and some of the guys back from injury, where does that group kind of stand in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, like anyone else. I mean, I, I'm not ready to call, you know, who the best group on our defense is and, and who's not or, or anything. I mean, I challenge those guys every day. I mean, you know, we, we want greatness. That, that's it. You know, there's no, you know, there's no mediocrity at, at any point in this program. That's not, that's not what we're about. So we challenge each group every single day. Those guys get challenged. They get coached hard. Um, you know, we recruit guys that can take coaching. Um, if we feel like you can't take coaching, you're not going to fit here. So um, I, I like what I see. They're running around. Again, they're competing. Um, everybody's in the mix. So we'll, we'll again, we'll, we'll play the best guys that we can. If it's multiple guys, if we got to rotate, we'll rotate. If, if guys stand out, then they get the, the majority of the stops. But the bottom line is we want to build depth in this defense. And we want to play a lot of guys. So we want a lot of roles for a lot of guys. Having coached A.J. Finley for a couple of years, what's that next step you're looking for him to take as a player and just as a leader on the yeah. defense? Um, I, I love A.J. A.J.'s awesome. He's going um, to be a great pro one day. Um, his next step is just to, to take the bull by the horns and, and, and take the reins and, and lead this thing. Um, go make plays. Um, you know, go, uh, go be aggressive. Go see things out there. Communication. Um, it's all those things. Uh, we, we've taken A.J. to a higher level of understanding. And, um, you know, he, he's the leader back there, and uh, he does it hell of a job so I'm expecting a big year from them just coming off the AJ question I mean you guys have some horses back there in the back end of that defense just just talk about that secondary if you will yeah uh, they won't play if they won't hit you that's number one so uh, we want to be violent we want to come out of the secondary we want to knock the crap out of people um, so that, that, that's the number one thing that, that, that we're looking for um, again same thing experience depth portal freshman it's a whole collective group you know we'll play we'll play a lot of guys if we can or we'll play you know guys that earn it and um and and do what we ask but you know we um we we ask a lot of those guys and uh, they come and they play I'm, I'm excited about them um just like i am in every position group coach you mentioned a minute ago about recruiting guys that can take coaching how do you know that and in this day of nil and easy transferring um, isn't it all a crapshoot or gamble? <laughs> Um, well, shoot, I, I would hope not, or we're not as good as our at our jobs as we as we'd like to be. Um, you got to take time, you know. You, you got to take time and get to know guys, and not just, you know, take them because of what they're ranked or, or what you think about them. You know, you got to get to know them. You got to coach them. I, any guy I recruit, I like coaching. I, I like to see how he's going to respond to to what I'm telling him, and it doesn't have to be X's and O's. I'm not talking. I mean, I guess the proper term is teaching. I like teaching while I'm while I'm recruiting because seeing how they respond, right? Seeing how how they respond to their peers, their coaches in their high school, you know, talking to everybody, talking to every single person that they've touched if they're a transfer, right? Talking to their parents, getting a feel to see how their parents raised them. It's the full gamut of stuff. And um, the beauty and what I love about Lane, and he really taught me this or even honed it in even more, is like, if this kid's a great player, but he's not going to be coachable and he can't learn what, what we want him to learn or he doesn't fit into our program, we're not going to take him. Right? I mean, I think people would be astonished at the kids that we've turned down here because they don't fit in our program. Right? So I think that's what we do the best. Um, and that's why when we guys get in here, they can mesh together um, and, and they can fit together because they're all like-minded. So we, we work really hard at doing that. Chris, some of the guys, have, some of the players have said that uh, they sense that this is going to be a more aggressive defense than maybe it was a year ago. I was just kind of curious your philosophy about blitzing, attacking, 
as opposed to a more conservative approach? How you how that's developed for you over your stops at you know Michigan and here and other yeah. places? Um, you know, I think, you know, like anything, experience is everything for somebody. So it's just every coach that I've that I've touched, everybody that I've been a part of, all the way back to my college defensive coordinator, um, has a little influence on, on how you like to do things and call things and set things up. Um, but when it comes to, like, blitzing, I mean, uh, that it's irrelevant. Like, if, if we win the first game by dropping 11, we're going to drop 11, right? If we're ahead, we're not going to we're not going to just take like senseless shots and, and do things just to do them we're going to prepare we're going to look at the opponent we're going to see what's best and you know we just got to build the defense that's able to be adaptable to do to do what we need to do so we're not going to be one-dimensional but we're also not going to just do stuff because it's a mentality like no we're going to be aggressive we're going to hit people right but that doesn't mean bringing pressure right that means understanding angles and doing the right thing I mean, there might be times we bring a bunch of pressure. There might be times we don't bring any pressure, right? I think that's what a great defense is. They can, they can do a variety of different things. It seemed like last year so much of the conversation and motivation was about playing with a chip on your shoulder after having a bad year. When you guys are coming off a little better of a year defensively, is it hard to still play with that? Does the motivation change, or how do you kind of keep that mentality going on a defense that's experienced a little more success? Yeah, I mean, there is no success unless you're the best, so... I mean, I, we weren't the best. So, yeah, we play with a chip on our shoulder, right? And then even when you're the best, you got to keep going. That's the beauty about the game of football, man. It humbles you every single day. So every play, every rep, it humbles you, right? You can be great for 10 plays in a row and then give up a big play, give up a touchdown, right? Game in, game out, year in, year out. So you can't get caught up into, oh, we improve. Like, yeah, okay, we improve, but okay, so what can we do to be better now? What can we improve the improvement on, right? So I think it's easy for for these guys to play with a chip on their shoulder. And again, it goes back to who we're recruiting, the type of player we're bringing in here. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think, yeah, we, we do got a chip on our shoulder. That's how you have to live in this, in this sport, right? You got to have a chip on your shoulder or someone will humble you immediately. Yeah, this kind of goes back to the recruiting and the, the teaching process, uh, thing that you brought up. But just talking to a couple guys yesterday, they said that one of the reasons that they really like you is that you don't sugarcoat things and that uh, you say what, what's on your mind and, and that they really appreciate that. I guess where does that kind of come from and why do you find that to be the effective way of doing things? Yeah, um, I mean, clarity is power, man. I, I just think, like, you, you give these guys clarity and you, you show them the good and the bad. Um, you know, just like, you know, when you, you, you're being raised. I mean, you know, your parents are going to be honest with you. They're not going to hide things from you. I, I just think... You know, you, you are as clear as possible with these guys, and they, they learn to trust you and they understand. I mean, our job as coaches is to, is to look at the ceiling of a football player and break them clear through what they even think they can reach. Um, and not even just a football player, as a man. So um, I, I think we've established a program here that, you know, constantly is talking about life and football and constantly telling them what's real out, is out there. Because, you know, when we get these guys, I mean, they're, they're, they're young men, right? They're, they're, not, they're not grown men. They haven't seen it all. So you've got to show your experiences and tell them exactly, you know, what's going on, whether it's in the world or in football. And 
and, um, and give them as much clarity as possible. And um, if they do that, you know, at the moment, at that, at that one conversation, if they don't like it, they, they might go home and get upset, but eventually they see it, right? Eventually they understand, well, no, coach, he ain't, he ain't, he ain't messing with me. He ain't lying to me. You know, there's a, there's a plan. There's a reason for everything we're doing. So I, I think I preach that constantly to everyone around is, you know, be clear, be concise, give them a plan, give them a personal plan, give them a defensive plan, give them a position plan, you know, be, um, you know, be, be all in on, on, on making them understand, you know, what the mission is. We good? All right, guys. That was Chris Partridge earlier today. Clarity is power. I like that a lot. You like that? I like that a lot. Clarity is power. Think about it. That's a lot of truth. Because vagueness is not power. No, it's a problem. Ambiguity is not good. No, exactly what clarity is power. I what like we that. expect. It's what you're doing. What we're trying to do. Um, it's a big year for him because I think if if uh, if Ole Miss is is good defensively, when you start talking about who gets the credit beyond the play calling, Chris Partridge has been involved in so much of the recruiting, the building of a defense that when they first got here, sucked. I mean, really bad. It was really bad. Like, they gave up eight gazillion yards in 2020. I mean, I set the record, right? I, mean, I don't remember. No, it was, it, was, it was the second worst. It was, it was like eight gazillion. It was the second worst season in SEC history for yards allowed. Tennessee had some year that was worse. Yeah. I don't know what worse could have looked like. McGriff's team was better. <laughs> Just got to get our eyes in the right place. I'm speechless. The fits, not real good. No, they weren't. So I don't know. That's that's um, he's a guy I'm watching because I think he's got a chance to be a. I think he's got a chance to be a head coach. He's intelligent. He's fiery. He's thoughtful. He's now yeah. been to a lot of different places. He's from New Jersey. He's been in the Big Ten. He's been in the SEC. Talked about taking stuff from everywhere. Good coaches do that. They figure out what doesn't work, what they don't like, what they do like. It's the benefit of not doing kind of the inbreeding thing where you stay in one spot, but you you see a lot of different people and types. And he's look, he he's had a path that has got him to this moment. I mean that that, that's the truth. I mean he is he he is built to a point to get him here, and I think he is trying to make the most of it to not squander it to. To imprint his own personality and his own methods, while at the same time, he talked about it in in, in the middle of this, is just still kind of a teacher. You're still showing up every day and just teaching the kids. You know, that's that's the root of this is showing up and whether it be about football or whatever else, just teaching them, just just being that presence. And in return, they play for you. I will say watching him on the practice field, he is a very active teacher. Not in a bad way, just very, very active. Like, especially with the young guys right now. I mean, he's really focused on, what, from what I can tell, just, you know, technique, thought, that day play-in, play-out intensity, stuff like that. We're hanging, hanging by the door. Yeah, clarity is power. Clarity is power. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, though. It makes sense. First time I ever heard it. It's true. 
the more you think about it, the more you're like, oh, that's pretty profound. Which is not something we hear very often in interviews. That was really profound, they said today. I thought McGriff was the next big thing. I don't remember ever thinking that. I don't. Do you think he got it from the book? There is a book. I just, I just Googled it because I was curious. Okay. It's a 2020 book um, by Ruth Shaw. Clarity is Power. Um, how to Stop Comparing and Step Into Your Personal Authority. Probably so. Think you got it from the book? Probably think so. Think you read the book? That's okay. Oh, you got a problem with that. Yeah. It's fine. Get ideas from... It's got a 4.7 out of 5 on Goodreads. Okay. You a self-help book reader? You know, what's funny about that is no hard... I mean, did we talk about this in the show? We didn't, did we? No, we didn't. Okay. No, I, typically I hate them. Like, I've read a few, and that's fine. There are some that I take stuff from. And I had gotten... I've, I don't like audio books. I'd rather listen to a podcast than an audio book. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I, I had Audible... Or something. I forget. I know I listened to David Goggins' biography, and there's a couple other ones that I listened to on Audible. And when I, I got an email one day, and it was like, you have this many credits, so you can get a free book or whatever. And I just started flipping through. And I picked one um, that was, what is the title of it? It is, uh, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And it was essentially was saying that the same processes that brought you to a certain part of your life. It's not just automatic that those same things will work for the next step. Where can you improve? Where can you do different things? A lot of things along those lines. Um, And it has been, I'm not done with it. I'm about 85%. And I'm because of what we talked about this morning, I'm having to be more efficient than I've ever been in my life. Because I'm frankly, I'm not a very efficient person. I will procrastinate and I will not be whatever. It's, it's, It's sort of a wonder that I get some things accomplished. But I've had to be a ton better. And this this book has had a very profound impact on me. Like, I seriously, like, there are multiple things where I'm listening to it and going, it's exactly right. Like, I've done those things. Like, that? I understand. There's, like, little bitty things where I went to the point that when I get done, I'll find that other that guy's next book and I'll, and I'll listen to it next. Really? Like, oh, no, I'm, like, all in. Completely has changed me on at least this guy's version of self-help. Can you give me an example? Um, well, I mean, it's just on everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's built around business principles. So what he does is he goes in and talks to, and this is not me saying I'm incredibly successful, but he talks to a lot of CFOs, CEOs about I mean, how we built something pretty yeah, it's from, suck. From I mean, scratch the point being that a lot of other people haven't built Well, fair, but he goes in and talks to a bunch of CEOs and CFOs and basically says, Hey, you guys are successful, but how do you get more successful? What's the next step? What do you do wrong? What do you do incorrectly or incorrectly? And tons of it is simply organization and listening. And I don't feel I, I I interview people, so I don't feel like I'm a bad listener. But outside of doing interviews, I don't feel like I listen very well. I don't. I, I think I'm automatically going to the next thing in my mind while somebody is talking. I think that I'm not processing what they're saying and then making sure that because look, when you reply to somebody, if you're paying attention to something else and you give a response, you could not mean anything by it, but you're not thinking of how do I say this information that puts the best impact for them on what I am saying to accomplish what I am trying to accomplish. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that that is something that I'm trying to work on. But there's, there's a lot. I mean, there's he does like these 20 basically things that most people do wrong at that level of business and how you get around doing that and different things. I mean, it's, it's really, really, really good. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a free ad and a plug, but it has been a, that's interesting. Yeah. It's good stuff. 
All right, we promised people today that we would talk about uh, Top Gun Maverick. Okay, we're doing that instead of calls. Do it now. No, uh, we'll, we'll open up the phones. Uh, okay, but we'll we'll start on that. Did I kill? No, I didn't. Okay. You good? Yeah, I'm fine. I was trying to find the stream. I, I've got a bunch of different windows up from, okay. from different things. For a minute there, I panicked. Then I, then I thought quickly to myself, I thought I'm the one with the stream yeah, in front of me. I'm, I'm good. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we've got a new Skype number, and I've got to uh, get that for you guys. I've got the, I've got it ready, but this is in this uh, box right here. I've got so many different things. Let's see. Yeah, there. That's not it. That's not it. I got. In fact, I'm going to get rid of that one. Uh, I got it somewhere else. Let's see. We had to get a new number. Had an issue the night <laughs> the night that Ole Miss won the national championship. I mean, my God, it's been fine for years. I, I mean, the, years. The odds of it were just. <laughs> it, it was it was mind boggling. I mean, it really was. There it is. All right, so that's the new number six six two two five nine eight five three four. I hope it works. I think it will work. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know what happened the last time, and but I think it will work. That's all I can say. So while we're waiting on calls, I mean, we can do we can intersperse this. I, cause I think this is relevant because what I said this morning about Top Gun is, and you have calls. I mean, we can do this later on Top Gun. Not so, yet. Um. It's relevant to what how you grew up with it, whether it's just a movie that you're enjoying, like some of the younger kids you're talking about, people who were even in college who had not really focused on Top Gun prior to this. Um, the original came out in, I think, 86. Um, yes. I was a junior that's in what high say, like, what I, I guess that's a decent setup for this, is what... When did... What, what sort of in your life cycle was Top Gun, if you will, the original? So I was in high school. Um, it was my junior year, I think it came out. I can't remember whether it was the 86 season or the 87 season. It, I think it was the 87 season. So it was my senior year of high school. It was it Rustin High always, at least back then. I don't know whether they still do corny stuff like this now, but they would do a... Um, some sort of pop culture theme to the season. Okay. And ours was Louisiana's Top Gun. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they'd play Danger Zone and all that stuff. So, I mean, it. we would joke about the secondary being the Danger Zone and stuff. We were being corny. I mean, we were, it was funny. But, I mean, so it, it was... It, it, it was built into your culture, though. But it was absolutely built into our our thing, and sometimes some we had themes on it and stuff, and coaches talked about it, and you know, like I, I can remember the in our jamboree, our star running back towards ACL. Really? Yeah, and remember when they told us like on that Monday that hey, Gerald's not going to be back this year, you know. And they made some reference to, you know, you, you lose, you got to keep going. You know, you, you don't, when something bad happens, you can't just stop, you know. So it was, it was ingrained into the culture. And so, yeah, I and mean, I was, and yeah, I was at that age where we went to movies. We didn't have, we didn't have cell phones. We weren't streaming on HBO Max. 
you know, you went to movies. It was a, it was a, it was a blockbuster film. Everybody watched it. It was it big. was a hell of a recruiting video for the Navy. They actually had tons of people that joined the the Navy. Yeah, I, I think off top. I gun. mean, there's six little boys in my neighborhood right now that are ready to join the Navy. I mean, right now, now they're only like five or six years old. But they're if you if you drive up and down my street on a weekend now, I'm now that school started, but in the summer all day long, they're on these scooters. And they're hitting the speed bumps. I kept waiting for one of them to get hurt. Like, I was worried about it. But it's all good. But they would hit the speed bump and on these things and just go, you know, in the air. And they appear to have mastered it. But the other day, they were going up and down the road. And they were they were singing, I went to the danger zone and stuff. And then one of them, it started to rain. And they said, we got to get back to the carrier. <laughs> and I just started, oh, that's good. I started laughing as I told one of the moms. I said this on the show, I guess, Wednesday or whatever. I told one of the moms that, and and she said, "Oh, it's been a Top Gun summer. <laughs> it, it's been Top Gun summer in our house. The kids have gone to see it like two or three times, and stuff like that. Even though you know there's a lot of like adult theme stuff to it, it's still the fighter pilot stuff is appealing to kids and stuff. I mean, I was three years old when it came out, but I remember. I mean, I was six, seven, eight, and I watched it all the time. And I mean, I guess in some ways." It shows you that, like, you were an 80s kid because you watched those kind of movies and the parents were like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, Days of Thunder and Top Gun and that sure. that was like Rocky. I mean, those were the movies. I like, now, look, you know, some of the jokes and things are going over my head as a six, seven, eight year old. I don't get it. But, I mean, that was like, I mean, that's kind of how I grew up was on Top, Tom Cruise popcorn flicks. And it's the original Top Gun is potentially the most rewatchable movie, one of the top ten rewatchable movies of that generation. I mean, where yeah. no matter where you catch it or whatever, and it has hit a lot of people. And I waited forever to see the sequel. I had a lot going on. I knew it was in the baseball season, and it, it, it was kind of weird because I all my friends know that I'm probably as obsessed with it as any as, as any one of our group. But I was the last one to see it, and I said, "I don't. If I've got other stuff in my mind, or I'm really busy, I don't want to go watch it. I want to wait till I kind of have the day to be able to like really take in the nostalgia because I knew I just wanted the syrup over me and." We'll do that. I went to the theater by myself in the middle of the day one day and said, I'm just going to do it today. I'm in good. I've got a little time to whatever. And it did. It was it was this powerful thing. When when it's over, you go, okay, if you appreciated or loved the original, you're going to love this one maybe even more. We can discuss that or not. But it was new enough that it does. It allows every generation ability to just watch a movie. And you get all the Easter eggs if you're deep into the original. Sure. But you didn't need the original to see the sequel. That was not a, nece- a necessity necessarily if you were no, they told, different. They told the story for the younger people who weren't around 30 years ago who declined to watch the original. They told the story. They incorporated. They gave you enough. They gave you enough where you could put the... Oh, okay. I get it. Now, I think the movie would be better if you could go watch the original first. Well, there's no doubt about that. You can and sit there and do a double feature it. and go right into it, and we're in business. Yeah. I mean, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll go. Um, but, you know, it's it, it was interesting. Um, it's the first time I'd been to a movie in three or four years. And so, you know, the big screen and stuff, it was actually kind of fun. Like, we got there, and there were assigned seats. And that was the first time we'd ever been to a movie with assigned seats. We had no idea what he was talking about. Oh, He's, really? Yeah, and because we kept looking at each other, weaving my wife, Lauren, and myself. We kept looking at each other like, what's he talking about? Like, 
like I wondered at first, like, are we doing social distancing or something? What are we doing? But it was you no know, assigned seats. Yeah, These, yeah, yeah. I, I, we'd not been to a movie since that. Well, it was my frustration, not a frustration, but when I went in for the same thing, I, I go at one o'clock on like a Tuesday. The movie's been out for three months or whatever it is at this point. And the guy goes, hey, you're in G12. And I'm like, oh, okay, because that's going to be a really big problem as this thing's going on. And um, you trying it out to make sure. I'm trying sure. to see if it even works. Okay. Nope. Oh, so we're dead. Okay. Got a busy signal. So I don't know what that deal is. I don't. I don't know how to fix that. Okay. Do you remember how we did that? Well, I don't remember that being a problem. So. I don't either. So I don't know what the situation is with Skype. Okay, that's weird. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, we have a Skype issue. We'll we'll figure it out before next week. I mean, we have a week yeah, to, yeah. to navigate. Well, sure as hell, figure it out before the football season. Yeah, no, we'll figure it out before next week. Yeah, yeah. so we're all good. Um, so. I guess my point being, though, yeah, they said you're in G12, and I thought, okay, there's going to be five people in this theater, whatever. We can sit wherever we want. But when I go sit in, and I sit down, and there's a couple people give my age, but the two rows in front of me were, you could tell it was kind of schools close to starting back, and it was kids. It was a babysitter or a sister or somebody had brought five kids who were between 8 and 12, 13, something like that. There was another little group that was whatever age. They were whatever that that, that was going on. And... I mean, I'm watching the movie and paying attention to myself, but they're really, really, really enjoying it. I thought that was a really cool thing because it's built in some ways simply for the people that like the original or whatever, but there's a whole new group that can still, I don't know, there's was, there was almost like a connectivity to it that almost made me emotional per se, but I kept thinking about it. I kept thinking there's not many movies that is going to transcend literally six or seven decades of yeah. people that are fine in whatever this looks like for this movie. Because you know, I keep, I've gotten asked by a couple of people which movie is better, and that's a hard question necessarily. Um, this one's better because the graphics are better. The you're you're basically inside the plane, but it's 2022 versus of, 1986. Of course, I tell you what they did really well. And I'm going to try to somewhat avoid spoilers. I get there's going to be somebody out there. I tell you though, because we didn't prepare you for this to not listen to the show for us to do Top Gun today. They hit a perfect occult chord, on my opinion of giving us stuff from the past, but not bogging us down with stuff from the past. Like, cause they, I was listening to some other podcasts. I've kind of gotten deep into some Top Gun podcasts over the last couple of weeks on some other shows that I just listened to anyway. And they were doing Top Gun as topics. And I, we knew for a while now they weren't going to bring back Kelly McGillis for multiple reasons. But then, like, you know, they didn't bring back Meg Ryan. They didn't, like, have the, you know, the scene. Because you'd easily had a scene with her and Mav and the whole deal and talking about the kid and whatever. If you do too much of that, it bogs it down into the past. You had to find a way to establish new characters and move it forward while still giving you all those themes and all those feelings from the from the past movie. And I thought it was, thought it was the perfect number of characters to do that. And then, I mean, the obvious choice of, I mean, Tom Cruise was the best thing about the movie, but Jennifer Connelly was really close for a second. And to be able to give you that callback that it's somebody you knew from the original, somebody that, you know, just in the dialogue, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a completely new character. They do even link that up with her. I thought that was, I thought that was smartly done. It was, and it's going to come, you know, it, it's made a ton of money. It's going to end up being one of the top 10 highest grossing films of all time or something by the time this thing is done. I don't know where it's at right now. I can look, but a massive success and something that probably, and I'm kind of all over the place, but this is just my main thoughts. 
probably gives Tom Cruise a chance to actually sort of have a career twilight that's pretty successful. You know, he was doing nothing Mission Impossibles that were working, and his career has been fairly bogged down for the last 15 years in a number of ways outside of that. This kind of gives him a chance to do some different things, sort of be back in the conscious in a positive light, and sort of whatever's left of his career, whether it be five years or 10 years or 20 years, go out on a note that uh, that he kind of wants to go in. I, I think it's a revitalizing thing for him. I do, too. I thought he was terrific in it. He was. And sometimes Tom Cruise can almost come across as so cocky and whatnot. And in this, I thought... You thought he had a more even tone to him. Here. Yeah, I thought they had humanized his character a lot. Like, hey, he's, life hasn't been perfect, right? He's been haunted a little bit by what happened to Goose. And he kind of... It, it all had always been something that hung over him and then i don't know just i thought they did a really good job of humanizing his character and it was kind of like i had that feeling that i got at the end of creed 2 a little bit that came over me and i know this is corny but and i don't want to give the spoilers and stuff but it was kind of like okay everybody's okay all the characters are okay Everybody's okay. I can I can move on and go to the next thing. And I know that sounds weird. Like I heard that they're working on a Creed three, and I was like, no, don't, don't. I'm I'm good. Everything was good. Like I don't know how much more you could do to make me feel better about it. And that's the way I wanted that series to end was me feeling better about like everything. And I think they're coming out with another one that's based on Drago, and maybe they're gonna come up with a way for him to get peace or whatnot. But it kind of, I don't know. I thought we were done with Creed too. I thought we were done. I, I, I've heard people say they might even do a Top Gun 3, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. We've done it. I think you're good. I think you should walk away with, hey, everybody's fine. And leave some of it to the imagination. I know that doesn't make money. I get it. Yeah, I mean, if they do another one, that's why they go, oh, my God, did you see the box office? Well, that's what they're going to do. Mean, oh, but, oh, oh, oh. but you worry about, boy, you could make a Rocky Four here if you're not – Rocky Five here if you're not careful. And then you've soured the – Yeah, because sorta... like when we do the Rocky stuff now, we're always like joking like, hey, Rocky Five didn't happen. <laughs> but it did. It did happen. It was a failure. It was a disaster, yeah. I'm sitting here looking for uh, different ways. I just don't I don't see what it would be on Skype and I'm searching like I'm all in my It's weird. I don't get it. We're going to figure it out though. Yeah, we'll get it fixed. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Um But it was really good. I was glad I went. Um Top Gun is up to 1.28 billion dollars. Wow. At the box office. Wow. Wow. I mean, which would be incentive enough to try a third one. I mean, it'd be hard not to go, hey. What did it cost to make this one? Do you know? I can find out quickly. I would think it was pretty damned expensive. Well, yeah, it, there, 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 there's no doubt about that. I mean, um, did a really good job with Val Kilmer to reincorporate him. Thought that scene was from a just a straight movie standpoint, yeah. maybe the best scene of the movie. Yeah, it's not the most fun scene. It's not the one we're going to talk about all the time, but it might it might be the best scene, if you will, from that point. Like it's it was it was just right. You know, they had to use the 
some stuff to allow him to speak and different things. The budget of the movie was $170 million. They made that up and then They've some. made money. And actually, it's even up a little higher than that now. The updated number is $1.32 billion. Wow. And it's not done. Oh, no. Not even close. i tell you what's nice about it, because you and I are, I mean, anybody older than really young people, frankly, are the perfect age, so I'm not going to act like we're like in the perfect spot here. It's really cool to anticipate and need to go to the theater to watch a movie. Yes. So many things are streamed now. You can just wait and do this and do this. And Tom Cruise is one of the few holdouts to that that, no, you had to you had to make it an event to go see this movie. And that's fun. I mean, the blockbuster at the movie. I mean, you get that from this. And, you know, they're going to eventually end up on Disney+. Plus, But I guess Marvel movies would be the other thing similar to that where... You know, I thought it was interesting at the very beginning when he gives that personal message. Like, hey, thanks for being here and... We made this for you. You could tell, like, this guy who's made all of these films. I'm guessing a little bit here, but I think this might be the one he's most proud of. In what way? The way he delivered that message about, hey, we made this for you. So glad you're here. Hope you love it and all that stuff. It just felt far more personal than I've ever seen him. Like, he genuinely was like, isn't this uh, in, in the way you want to see him? He's yeah. had so many. Hey, I'm going to go jump on the couch and Scientology. I did all that weird stuff. And this was more. He was the '80s action star we know. He yeah. was Days of Thunder, Cocktail, Risky yeah. Business. This was that Tom Cruise. That's what again. I mean. Like he felt like it felt like he was telling you in a way. Hey, this is the one I've wanted to do. And and I know we've all been through this COVID thing and and, and stuff. But now you're back in a theater and you're back. I'm doing the thing I love to do the most, and you're back watching it, and that makes me happy. It kind of felt like that. Now, maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but that's what it kind of felt like. I, there was something about, like you said, there was kind of like that little excitement to be back in a theater, and then he came on and did that, and I thought to myself, oh, this must be really good. I love the uh, the fact, did you hear this? Have you seen anything about this? That um, the And this didn't give anything away. The dogfight football scene when he's trying to team build with these guys. Um, they had to shoot it twice, so they shot it. And after a few days, Cruz came back and said, "No, I don't like it. We have to do it all again." Well, the young actors were clearly, as most would be, they could, they wanted to be in as best physical shape as possible. Right. So they were all frustrated because the night that they had shot the scene the first time, they had gone out and had milkshakes and burgers and stuff and finally went, hey, we can do this now. Yeah. And then he tells them, hey, no, tomorrow. And he said literally they were all in the gym for like 14 hours straight trying to get the pump back. Like they went straight back into the gym and spent a day just like figuring out what they could do at that point. I mean, it was, it, yeah, it was like, okay, yeah. Um, no, it's, it, it's, it's per, I mean, it, it's so good in a number of ways in those ways. You get a little of everything. I mean, because you get, again, not, I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm not, you're not spoiling anything to think he's going to have some crazy scenes in a movie. Um, The early scene when he is kind of teaching the young bucks a lesson and still showing he's the best fighter pilot or whatever, it was the most nostalgic, great, take you back to 80s, early 90s action sequence scenes of anything I've seen in a really long time. But you needed that. He had to earn their respect. He had to find a way to kind of send a message. But you're also getting the music and the tone and the flow. And there was a, there was a. I think that's my favorite scene of the movie, simply from 
what it looked like and what we haven't had in a while in a movie and what you kind of take from that because it was a very important scene to sort of set the rest. And then, I mean, you could argue the end got a little unbelievable and a little sappy, but that's okay. It's when you going in, I'll take it and I'll be okay. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm good. With you that. have to suspend your reality for a while here. And that's okay. Because like John Hamm's character for a second, okay? Yeah. A mission that requires this level of precision that, frankly, maybe only one person on Earth can accomplish, and he did it in front of you when you tried to get rid of him. But it was very obvious none of the other ones would be able to get close to this in that type of combat situation. Was he trying to give them all a death wish? (laughs) And at what point can we not go, we have all this great technology, we have to do this 1980s fighter pilot thing instead of, hey, why don't we just find a way to get the truck before it gets into this bunker and just blow the damn thing up? Right, right. Like, is it possible that if we know when the uranium is coming, we just take one of those cool stealth jets that was going on and we just blow that thing to smithereens at some point? Right, right, right. Now, I get we don't need the movie if that's the case, but I'm yeah. just saying. But, yeah. Because it makes you wonder a little bit the Navy went, hey, just tell Maverick to do it because if we kill him, who cares? He's stuck as a captain, so give him some mission that's not yeah. even freaking possible. Cat's 50. Yeah. He's 60. Yeah. No, you're right. But, I mean, obviously, they they needed that for the story. So they, And that's okay, right? You and I have talked about this so many times with movies. You're at a movie. Everything doesn't have to be exactly real. It's okay if you suspend some reality. It's all right. It's not a documentary. It's a movie. You know it's not real. Goose didn't really die. (laughs) Anthony Edwards is fine. (laughs) He's okay. My other little nitpick that makes the movie, but like you said, if you give it any real fault, you have a problem. Is at the early part of the movie when he's in the other jet doing the test pilot thing, trying to get to Mach ten, even though it's Mach nine day. He's going to Mach ten, and that's somewhere around I don't know six thousand miles an hour, give or take seven. I don't know somewhere in that thing. Yeah. A, they say the force would basically kill you in the cockpit. So his plane falls apart. He survives. Can walk to whatever this restaurant is or whatever he's doing in this diner, and then two. Where is he? Because he's been in a plane going 6,000 miles an hour. He's not still in Southern California. Right, because I... That, though He'd that, be in Canada by then. That bothered me, too, because I'm like, well, where is he? Like, You guys are like saying he's like in Kansas. He would have been past Kansas a <laughs> long time. Cat would be in, like, more like Manhattan by now. Yeah. Manhattan, New York, not yeah, Kansas. Not Kansas, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was... No air traffic controllers would go, oh, what the hell is that in the middle of our sky right Did now? Did they show him at one point, though, turn... Like he went east and then turned to go back west. So he was able to turn the plane at Mach 8. I've never flown Mach 8. Beats me. He, I don't, he, I don't he know. He turned the plane to make sure it went the other direction at 5,000 miles an hour. <laughs> the, the kid's line was funny. Where he goes, where am I? The kid goes, Earth? <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, and again, that's another. Hey, just play along with us today, people. We're, we're getting somewhere. Jennifer Connolly, all in. Connolly, sorry. Uh, she yeah. played a great character. Yeah, she's good. Beyond that. Um, yeah, she was... No, and that's what they also did, though, seriously? Is gave him a... I'm avoiding that. Gee, not going there today. Um, 
gave him a reasonably same age love interest too. We didn't need him to have the twenty four year old, the twenty six year old. Shut up, shut up. You know what I mean, though. Like, what's wrong with a fifty year old guy dating a twenty five year old? A he's sixty, not fifty, or he's fifty, whatever. Okay. Uh, God, there's gonna be a message board post about that. Sorry. The movie's less believable if he's it like, is. we're doing whatever with it the 27-year-old. It's more believable that it's it's somebody who's... He knew. They've it, had a past. They've had a past. Clearly, the last time they were together, they appear to be kind of this on again, off again. She yeah. doesn't trust him thing. Yeah. She's got a daughter who's high schoolish age, I'm guessing. Pretty perfect kid. Can kind of work behind the bar all good. Like, yeah. There's not much wrong with that child. No, there was... It was good. I liked it that I, I I was completely pleased. Like my goal when I go, we've talked about this. My goal when I go to a movie is to be entertained, to not think about. Yeah, I don't want to be pulling out my phone because I'm bored. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be. I, I want to be able to whatever was on my mind before I got there. Let it go. For I want to be able to let that go for two hours. I want to just an escape and be entertained. And when it's over, go. That was good. And that's enough for me. Like, if I walk out of it in tears or something, well, then it was super powerful. But mostly, I just want to be entertained. And it, I was. And it, I was moved a little bit. I wasn't, like, sobbing or something. But but I was cool with it. Like, it was good. Like, okay, so. How do you think Miles Teller did? How, what, that, that character development, what would you think? Which one's he? Goose's kid. Okay. Um, solid. Looked like him enough. I realized you could put a mustache on anybody. I think they kind of resemble him. It did kind of look like him. Um, His character was good. It wasn't my favorite character in it, but I don't know how you could make him be. Like, I didn't... The one thing I... I, We're getting into spoiler area. I would have loved a little more explanation for why he was so mad at him. And, And I got the whole thing about delaying him. That was what it was. But, But that's probably a huge deal because... I would assume, and I know nothing about fighter pilot or Navy or anything else, but I would assume that a four-year delay impacts your career credibly because you become old way too fast for the path that you are yeah. on. They, If I have a criticism, I wish they would have spent a little more time on that. It's also possible that he's just upset about the other family dynamics and... Sure. I've given away spoilers badly if I keep going at yeah, all. Sure. Like it's, it's a hard thing, but... There's a lot of raw emotion there, just simply whatever, and I think it's not even necessarily about the papers. And, and, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's a little too pissed. It's also hard to believe that he wouldn't know him a little better, right, frankly, too. Right, that there wouldn't have been a relationship. Because I, based on the way that the first one went, you would have thought, yeah, that was something that he would do. And in normal tradition, just like the first Top Gun, because, you know, one of the biggest Top Gun criticisms of the original is – Okay, we have this emerging situation in the Indian Ocean. And we have a lot of Navy. We have a lot of pilots. We're going to send the dudes that just graduated, literally in their graduation. There's not, where is last year's Top Gun class for the original? Where's the one two years ago? Are there not better pilots, something due to this? This is kind of the thing, too. You look at it, and I get that some of the guys like Hangman were the top of their class and whatever. But there was a couple people in that group that went, how were they selected? How were they the ones that, frankly, even even Goose's kid, like how how is this the the group that's headed to do this basically impossible mission? 
So I don't know. I, I thought that was there was some couple of those things where they just needed it to make the movie work, and it worked, and it was fine. But it was one of the there were two or three times during the movie that it got a little carried away where it actually caught me, and I went, I don't know. I've, I got to kind of think about this for a uh, for a minute at that point. But I'm trying to uh, explore a little bit here if I can just maybe figure this out. Uh, Do what now? I'm I'm trying to. Uh, I'm just exploring to see if there's something simple that I'm not doing right on how to take uh, how to take Skype calls. We've never had this problem before. We've done lots of Skype calls, and I don't know what the the exact deal is, but I'm I'm kind of work kind of looking for it because the number's literally not working. Mm-mm. You know, it's getting a busy signal, which doesn't make sense because I know that it I know that I've paid for it, and I know the account's good because I just added the ability to you know call out of it. So we call sus. Right. We're just not taking calls. Yeah, for whatever reason. So I'm trying to figure out how to um, how to take calls. Let's see. And I just don't see it. Yeah, I just don't see it. I don't know. Well, it's going to be something we'll have to figure out. We'll figure it out for next week. Yeah, Sammy, I was I was going to delve into that, but I was trying to avoid that spoiler. I didn't. I mean, I know that's a light one, and we probably could have gone there, but I was I was trying to avoid discussing discussing that. But I do agree with you. It had to do with the impact of his mother as well as his father. It was not just it was not just Goose, right? I don't think it has anything to do with call forwarding or voicemail. It's giving me the caller ID. I've got a number. Grind, appreciate it. He says, uh, so I think Georgia Tech is the key to expansion. Is that is that what you meant by G2? SEC doesn't want them, but ESPN knows the money. Adding the Atlanta market would be for them. They added UCLA over Oregon because of markets. Went from 30 to 30 cents to $1.50 cable box in L- per cable box in L.A., that's a good point. We've talked about markets not really mattering, but I did see that about how UCLA jumped the the ESPN amount of money way up from them going to the uh, going to the Big Ten. Do you buy that, Neil? Do you buy that there would be a market value in anybody at this point? I mean, we do have an evidence of it that there was with UCLA, but yes, UCLA is a much different animal than Georgia Tech. Yeah, I don't. Know. And LA is a much different animal than Atlanta and already, in a way. And they already have the Atlanta market because of Georgia. And Georgia, and but they would have had the LA market with SC. But UCLA was like a partner in it. They and, needed to do that. Well, yeah, and like, like think about all the SEC schools that have massive alumni bases in Atlanta. Obviously, Auburn. Alabama, Ole Miss. I mean, we have Atlanta's one of our top ten markets every single month. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Tennessee has a huge alumni base in Atlanta. Probably Florida, I'm guessing. South Carolina, probably. I mean, it's they already have Atlanta. I don't. I don't know what Georgia Tech brings to the table. Because you'd have to be. You you would run the risk. I think. And maybe I'm wrong. But my my gut reaction. Is you run the risk of almost kind of adding a Rutgers going, oh, I'm going to get New York City. And it's like, you're not, actually. That's not how Yeah, I don't, I don't, I just don't see where that. I don't know that Georgia Tech and Atlanta changes a cable number. 
Maybe it does. We have to ask somebody, but I don't. My 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 gut is that would not be the case. Um. So thanks to the people that did uh, join in. Thanks to all the super chats. I know we had a few at the very beginning. Um, appreciated that. So we will work on this. Um, prior to Thursday. Yeah, we'll work on it prior to Thursday. We got plenty of time. We have. Uh, I think we have camp access again tomorrow. Is that right? That's work. Yes. Yeah, players after tomorrow. Players after tomorrow. Then we get. I think we get Lane on um, Saturday. On Saturday, so we'll we'll have coverage throughout the weekend, and then another full week of coverage next week. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Again, our thanks to Nick Suss for his time. Uh, tonight on the show. Hope you have a great weekend, and we will talk to you again on Monday. For Chase, I'm Neil. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.